This time, if you want me to come back, it's up to you. But remember, I won't allow the things you used to do. You're gonna have to toe the mark and walk the line. Welcome back to episode two of season 18 of the VMP Anthology podcast. This one is, of course, dedicated to the story of Waylon Jennings, VMP's new box set that is dedicated to the imperial period of Waylon. Eight albums in nine years? Eight years. Eight albums in eight years. Uh, And it tells a story of a man reaching for and ultimately hitting the peak of his form. Uh, There are still some available in the VMP store if you'd like to go grab one. But, you know, following doing the Shooter Jennings interview episode, on this episode, you're going to hear me break down this box, how it happened, why each album was picked, and what I think you should listen to on each album, and really tell you where to go next in your Whalen studies. Think of this one as a director's commentary on the box and on Whalen Jennings in general. So this one is going to be a lot of me talking, but we're going to get into it now. So I'll stop talking right now. We'll go to an ad. Be back in just a second. Do you want to talk about this box with other folks who are obsessed with Whalen and with vinyl just like you? Do you want somewhere to debate which album should have been in this box? Well, do we have the place for you? It's the VMP Discord, which is open to vinyl lovers of all types. Head on over and look for the channel dedicated to this Wayland anthology. Then, stick around to debate sandwich toppings. Join by going to discord.gg slash please. Now, back to the show. This time should be anything like the other time. This time will be the last time. All right, you're back with me, your host, Andrew Winnestorfer, telling you about this Waylon Jennings anthology that you either now have in your hands and are listening to or are eagerly awaiting its arrival. Uh, I guess to start telling you about how this came together, you have to know that last year in 2022, we did a audiophile AAA remastered edition of Waylon Jennings' Honky Tonk Heroes, which I think for a lot of people is his masterpiece. I don't know that I think it's his masterpiece, but I think it's maybe his most uh, representative and maybe uh, essential record. It's like the one that every record collection needs to have uh, to understand Waylon. And when we were doing that record, we were debating about which one to do. We ended up on Honky Tonk Heroes. And then I was like, well, you know, the guy's got like eight albums in a row we could do around Honky Tonk's Heroes. And after we had seen how the Willie Nelson box had done, it was kind of like a no brainer. Um, And knowing that, you know, we have Shooter Jennings in our quarter. He he loves VMP, uh, you know, and loves us revisiting his dad's work. So it was a pretty quick process. 
Um, my original proposal of records uh, was a little bit wider than this version of the box. Uh, at first, I think I had this ending in the early 90s, but it was Shooter and Sony's A&R who works with a lot of the whale and stuff, Rob Santos, who both were like, I don't know, I think you could end this sometime in the early 80s. And I took that feedback. <laughs> Ultimately, it was like, yeah, you're right. Uh, I, I think you're, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And I think ultimately it tells a much tidier story overall to end this sort of like when Whalen settled down, you know, shortly after Leather and Lace, he quit doing cocaine. He quit doing drugs. He quit partying uh, and really settled down into a domestic life. You know, he still was touring and still making records, but it was not the burn the candle with a blowtorch lifestyle that he had been living previously. So I knew immediately when we had started talking about this box that it needed to begin with Lonesome, Ownery, and Mean, uh, which I think might be my favorite recorded Whalen album. Uh, this is a record that I, th you know, you don't say this about country records very often, but this is one that feels like it's a headphones record. Like, I feel like it's so atmospheric. Uh, it really just like the drums come out of the speakers at you. It feels like Whalen is grabbing you by your shirt collar, singing at your face. It's just like, it's such a great record. And, you know, in, in terms of Whalen's career, it's this very, very important moment, you know, because as you'll read in the booklet, you know, Whalen, he had this very formative experience where his first brush with being a, a, a famous musician is playing in Buddy Holly's band. And he was supposed to be on the plane that crashed when the muse, the day the music died. And I think in some ways he was like, from then on was just like, I need to be true to myself. And that's all that really matters in this business because, you know, Buddy Holly really made music how he wanted to and like basically endured because he was completely authentic. And I think Whalen really took that as his North Star is like, all that matters to me is making the music that I want to make. And then he ends up, you know, he, he, he's playing some music in, in Arizona, becomes sort of locally famous, gets signed and gets put into the Chet Atkins machine, which in the 60s, you know, for better or worse, I mean, I think probably mostly for better, if you ask the musicians, it was like all of the music sounded pretty the same coming out of the RCA studios. Chet Atkins had a very specific sound for how he thought country should sound. And ultimately he really was responsible for country getting mainstream appeal at first because, you know, people thought it was hillbilly music and he really showed that like, if you put strings on it, it can sound as ornate as Motown or, you know, the Beatles or any of that kind of thing. So you know, Whalen gets put into this machine and he bristles, you know, he, he wants to make his authentic music and he can't, he's just not allowed to, he's fighting with Chet. He's fighting with Danny Davis, who is like Chet's Lieutenant. He's just arguing and, you know, fighting this system. He gets to the end of his co original contract at RCA and he has hepatitis and he's honestly like, 
I think I'm just going to quit. Like I'm good on the music thing. I've been going hard for 15 years. I'm just like, I think I'm done. And he gets this new manager who really helps him fight for creative independence that he really wanted the entire time. And he ends up getting like he, you know, his, his lawyer goes into to RCA and they demand complete creative control, bigger budgets, you know, just like basically shot the moon. And because this is a, a crucial difference between Willie Nelson and Whalen, because Willie had attempted the same thing previous to this. Whalen was a huge commercial success for RCA. Like he was a big deal. He sold records. And so like RCA ultimately capitulated to him, but let Willie Nelson walk because Willie had not made a hit prior to that point. Whereas Whalen's records were always on the country charts. He was a celebrity, but not to the level that Whalen thought he deserved and not the way that Whalen wanted. So they give Whalen everything he wants. And then he basically has to call the call in the bluff. Like he has bluffed his way to the table. He needs to put his chips down and he makes lonesome ownery and mean you're hearing right now. We're going to play some of the title track. This is one of the best Whalen songs originally written by Steve Young. This is an incredible one. Here it is right now. We got together And we cashed in our sweeps Gave on to a beggar Who was mumbling through the streets There's no escaping From his snowy white dreams Born and lonesome And from the first song on the record, I want to now direct you to the last song on the record, which sort of cements the Chris Christopherson X Waylon Jennings relationship. Uh, One of the records prior to Lonesome Ownery and Mean is The Taker and Tulsa. Uh, It's two records before this, and that was when Waylon... Uh, really sort of helped make Chris Christopherson. You know, Chris was was outside of the the Nashville mainstream. You know, they always say that he was the first country songwriter to acknowledge that sex was actually happening. You know, he brought country music to the bedroom, they always say. And Waylon had started covering his songs, and by the time he gets to Lonesome Ownery and Maine, Chris Christopherson is like a megastar. And... Waylon decides to close out his first completely free album. Sort of, I I like to think of it as a hat tip to Chris, who taught him how to get free and do his own thing. And so here's his cover of Me and Bobby McGee, at least part of it. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Nothing left was all she left for me. Feeling good. You know, and the final thing I want to draw your attention to on this record is really the steel guitar 
Uh, Ralph Mooney and Pete Drake are all over this record. Uh, they're really incredible. Um, yeah, just just listen to the steel guitar. The 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 fiddle and violin is great on this record too. You know, yeah. Just just listen to. As you can tell, I love this record. Uh, just listen to this record. Listen to the instruments. The band is tight as hell. Uh, this one rules. It had to always be this record as the first one because this record feels like the first time that Waylon Jennings got to be Waylon Jennings on record. This was him doing his own thing, being him. And that's why this record is number one in this box. It's not supposed to be that way. You're supposed to know I love you. But it don't matter anyway If I can't be there to control you All right, right now you are hearing It's Not Supposed to Be That Way, a song from This Time, the second album in this box. This Time is sort of the first volley of the outlaw country movement. You know, prior to this, it's just Waylon fighting against the machine, Chris Christopherson off on his own, doing his own thing. Willie has to get signed to Atlantic and, and, you know, pick up his career and start over. And, you know, here's Waylon with complete creative control. And what does he do? He first hires Willie to be his co-producer. And a few months after Willie put out phases and stages Waylon is covering four of the songs from that record on this so 40 percent of this record is Waylon covering willie phases and stages and then he put a song by jesse coulter on here who was his wife by this point you know who had also a very important part of the outlaw country movement we've got billy joe shaver writing slow rolling low which you can hear right now I got a slow rolling load Ain't a mother would want me Done got me so down Been out around Don't know my head from my toes Ain't a hand here to hold Ain't a shoulder to cry on Ain't a lesson to learn Or a corner to turn Twits the dying in me But the biggest song on this record is This Time, which is the title track that Waylon had actually written four or five years prior to this record coming out that he, you know, brought to the studio to Chet Atkins and they basically told him, no, this isn't this isn't good. Like, take this out of here. Uh, You you know, what are you trying to do? You're not a songwriter. And so this feels like Waylon being like. Oh, watch this. And this time became his first number one single, became this huge hit. This record really, you know, blew up his best country, his best selling album since 1967. It was like this new peak for him. And it really just cemented the the outlaw movement. There's Jesse, there's Billy Joe, there's Willie, you know, Tomple Glazer's studios where they made this record. You know, it was it was this moment then 
that leads to Wanted, The Outlaws, which is a record that came out after this, that had songs from this time. And, you know, Whalen is on his way. He, he goes from being a guy who feels like he can't do what he wants to having complete creative control. And now he's starting to hit the peak. He's, he's making hits on his own without any feedback from anybody else. And so it was a no brainer that this should be the second record after we've already done honky tonk heroes and our country subscription, you know, and then it's like, this is the next one, another classic record. Here's a little bit of heaven or hell from this record. Sometimes it's heaven. Sometimes it's hell. Sometimes I don't even know Sometimes I take it as far as I can Sometimes I don't even go My front tracks are heading for a cold water well My back tracks are covered with snow Sometimes it's heaven, sometimes it's hell Sometimes I don't even know So early in 1974, Whalen puts out This Time, and things are really starting to, you know, become a huge snowball. Things are rolling downhill. It is it is just blowing up, right? And he decides, I got to strike while the iron's hot here. I can't just rest on This Time for this year. I'm going to go ahead and put out a second record this year. So he's in the studio again in summer of 1974, making what becomes his next album, The Ramblin' Man. This record, I think, feels a little bit more towards where he'd end up, where the presentation of this record feels very much rock-based. Like This feels like a rock and roll record as much as it does a country record. I think if he hadn't been singing about Oklahoma Sunshine on this you might have just thought it was a rock record but you know instead he he makes this this really like rock and country record the title track the i'm a rambling man is by ray pennington it's a tremendous single it's one of whalen's you know it's on his greatest hits it's a it's a classic you're gonna hear that right now i've been down the mississippi down Yes, I have. I've played in California. There ain't too much I haven't seen. No, they ain't. But I'm a rambling man. Don't fool around with a rambling man. But my favorite song on this record is the 10th track that actually would become a massive single five years after this record came out. And it's called Amanda. And it was included on Whalen's uh, Greatest Hits compilation in 1979. Uh, it had kind of been a forgotten song, but was like part of his live sets. It was one of his best ballads. And it just randomly is on his greatest hits. It gets serviced to radio and it becomes this. It, I think it was one of the, the biggest, if not one of, you know, the biggest country songs of 1979. Uh, it's I think Whalen at his best, when he sings ballads, he just feels like he's been hit by a car. He is down on his knees. He is on his last rope. He is just pleading, please, you know, like, I love you. 
please, you know, come back home. Amanda, it's such a good song. You're going to hear some of it right now. To look in the mirror in total surprise At the hair on my shoulders and the age in my eyes Amanda should have made you a gentleman's wife Amanda light of my life fate should have made you a gentleman's wife when you think of first songs on an album you usually think of them as like the mission statement the like this is what this album is going to sound like and feel like. It's like telling me what to expect. And as far as first songs go, it's hard to think of one that is more like, this is the thesis of my entire recording project than the first song on Dreaming My Dreams, the next album in the VMP anthology, where it is led off by the song, Are You Sure Hank Done It This Way? Uh, Whalen at the time was up against the country establishment in a real way. He had established himself as a, you know, a hit maker. He had the creative freedom to do what he wanted and people were listening to him. Like they were following him and, and paying attention to what he was doing, even though he was saying, you know, fuck the establishment. I'm not going to do what everybody else does. So it's a weird thing that like country in the mid seventies, it's, you know, it's rhinestone cowboy. It's John Denver. It's like the, the soft AOR country, the, like, you know, the Ronnie Millsaps, you know, no disrespect, but like, it's that kind of stuff is, is on the charts and doing really well. And then here's Whalen playing rock records like kicking people's heads in and just making some of the like hardest country that's ever existed and this song you know is really like him openly questioning everything you know he says it's the same old tune fiddling guitar where do we take it from here you know like he keeps saying like we need to change country music and he ultimately did with this record Dreaming My Dreams, I think, you know, for my money, it's his masterpiece record. It's it's the best album in an album that's basically, you know, in a catalog that's only great. This is feels like the 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 greatest of those records. You know, it, it's it's just a record that uh goes back to the roots of what you think of when you think of like raw country music. It's not cleaned up. It, it sounds like it's covered in sawdust. It sounds like it's being played in a bar where you might get stabbed. It, it brings back some of the like rebel energy that started the music. So here's that song. Are you sure Hank done it this way? We'll talk more about this record in just a minute. Lord, it's the same old tune, fiddle and guitar. Where do we take it from here? Rhinestone suits and new shiny cars. It's been the same way for years. We need to change. 
they got it made Old Hank made it here We're all sure that you will But I don't think Hank done it this way So this record you know i think one of the reasons it sounds so incredible and sounds like has the like the old energy bona fides is that it's produced by jack clement who was the right hand man of sam phillips in memphis and so you know jack clement was kind of like you could think of him as sort of like a assistant producer or or math engineer in at sun studios he was helping you know Jerry Lee Lewis, Elvis, Johnny Cash, like get their sound onto record. And he basically brought that same wild energy, that unhinged feeling to Dreaming My Dreams. And, you know, one of the things that Clement does for this record that I think ultimately, uh, you know, makes it have this incredible sound is that he wouldn't let people wear headphones in the studio and he did not want them to do any overdubs. So things like Waymore's Blues on this record sound impeccable. They sound well recorded. They they rule. So you're going to hear Waymore's Blues right now. Well, I woke up this morning, it was drizzled and rain. Around the curb come a passenger train I heard somebody yodel and a hobo moan Jimmy, he's dead, he's been a long time gone Been a long time gone A long time gone So Dreaming My Dreams is Waylon's first number one album and it shot Whalen into the stratosphere. He was already famous. He was already one of the best country singers. After that record, it was just like, there is no doubt. There isn't anybody who can say, oh, I don't know about Whalen. He is the top Don. He is the number one. And he would ultimately ride that through the rest of the 70s. You know, Dream of My Dreams came out in 1975, and it really set the tone for Whalen for the rest of the decade which he was on top of the charts and on top of country music. hearing Can't You See, one of the songs from the next album in your box, Are You Ready for the Country? And this record came a full 12 months after Dreaming My Dreams. And though they were only 12 months, Waylon's life basically completely changed in between. In 1976, in January, that's when the Outlaws album came out. It was the first country album to ever sell more than a million copies. And it was really like the first country album since Johnny Cash's At Folsom Prison that like everybody had to have. It was big in a way that is like hard to comprehend. Like it, it, it was the Taylor Swift of its, of its day. 
it was huge. It was massive. And so all eyes turned to like, what is next from Waylon Jennings? And he comes with, are you ready for the country? Which, you know, it, it is a record that like, he, f- it feels like it's an answer to the new people. Like he had been saying for years that rock audiences would listen to country if only they were produced like rock records, that they were treated with the same reverence. They were allowed to have the same creative freedom that rock records, you know, get got to have like Jefferson airplane never had to fight for creative freedom the same way that Waylon Jennings did. And he had been saying that for years and it worked like the, the wanted mega explosion happens and he has to now like please this audience that has maybe not bought a country record ever before, but they bought the outlaws and now are like, there's a new Whalen record. I better check that out. And so he comes with, are you ready for the country? The song feels like a, you know, provocation to all these people who are new to his game, even though the original song was on harvest by Neil Young. It's a cover. Um, but you know, he says, are you ready for the country? Are you ready for me? Which feels like the central question of every Waylon Jennings album (laughs) in some ways, but you know, this one, especially, you know, it it feels like Waylon putting the country spin on everything. You know, he does it with, are you ready for the country? He does it with, can't you see, which is a Marshall Tucker band song. And he also does it on MacArthur park. Uh, you know, which is a turns that into sort of a, a a folk ballad, you know, and this record is really Whalen just doing his country thing on songs that are not country songs, but also doing them on songs that he has written about his friends and his life, like old friend, which is a song about buddy Holly. And this was really the first time that Whalen was like, artistically approaching this real tragedy that happened in his life. You know, him and Buddy Holly were really close friends and Buddy Holly was like mentoring Whalen and, you know, Whalen felt guilty because the last thing he ever said to Buddy Holly was, I hope your plane crashes as a joke, you know, and it it was, it was him getting to remember Buddy in a like really nice way. And so, yeah. You know, listen to Old Friend right now and listen to Whalen addressing Buddy Holly. They've been writing books about you and the stories that they tell make you look like some kind of angel, and we both know you mean yourself. By the time Waylon Jennings hit the studio in late 1976 and early 1977 to record the next album in your box, Ole Waylon, he had been burning the candle from every different side imaginable. He had been making soundtracks. He'd been touring. He'd been recording. He'd been out all night for weeks partying, doing coke. He was just burnt out. He was fried. And I think, you know, he thought, I need to get in the studio and get some of this out. And, you know, I think what you see happen with Whalen's, you know, subject matter and sort of his public persona in this era is that he 
wanted creative freedom his whole career and he got it. But what I don't think that he ever bargained for was that he'd be famous and that people would care about what he was doing and people would, would judge him for how he decided whether or not to go to the CMAs that, you know, people would say that he was doing things the wrong way. Like, and and he had expectations on him. Like, I just think that he, he did not know that he would bargain for, being famous. And so, you know, it's this album ends up being this this record that's sort of all over the place, but it has songs like Till I Gain Control Again and, you know, as on on the nose as he ever got about his mental health struggles, a song by Buddy Knox called I Think I'm Going to Kill Myself, which you'll hear right now. So long to you. Hope I don't make I think I'm gonna kill myself I think I'm gonna kill myself Apart we broke Lord, I can't go on alone I think I'm gonna kill myself I think I'm gonna kill myself You know, but this record is not just sad, angry songs. It's, you know, Luckenbach, Texas, Back to the Basics of Love is like a pretty, you know, like we need to we need to relax, we need to chill, we need to stop partying kind of song. You know, he covers Neil Diamond's Sweet Caroline on this record. He does Elvis medley. You know, it, it's it's a it's a, a different kind of record for him. It's not as controlled and as like well well considered maybe as Dreaming My Dreams. That does not mean that this is not a great record. I think this is a record that is all over the place, but it captures many different moods and styles that Whalen was up to in this era. So without further ado, here's a little bit of Luckenbach, Texas, Back to the Basics of Love. Listen to old Whalen. I don't need my name in the marquee lights. I got my song and I got you with me tonight. Maybe it's time we got back to the basics of love. Let's go to Luckenbach, Texas, with Whalen and Willie and the boys. This successful life we're living Got us feuding like the Hatfields and McCoys Between Hank Williams' pain songs And Newberry's train songs And blue eyes crying in the rain Out in Lukenbach, Texas Ain't nobody feeling no pain If Whalen was burnt out on fame and expectations and how he should behave on old Whalen. By the time of I've always been crazy, he was cooked. He was fried. He was burnt. He was completely burnt out beyond burnt, whatever the stage beyond burnt is. He was, you know, and there was a lot of reasons for that. His partying had gotten way out of control. And in late 1977, 
he ends up snared in a DEA investigation. It's perhaps like a little bit on the nose. Like if you if you paid attention to what Whalen was up to and talking about in in interviews, you just had to hang around him a little while to realize the guy was doing cocaine. And a DEA agent finally decides like we should really we should do this. They track cocaine from Escobar in Colombia directly to Whalen. And they, you know, think they're going to get him stone cold to rights. Turns out that they did not have a warrant for the studio. They only had it for his office. The Coke was in the studio and his Coke was able to be flushed by his drummer. So he gets off, but it becomes this huge event in Nashville. It's, you know, he, he, Nashville did not have so much of a paparazzi apparatus at this point, but it basically started to to get pictures of Whalen and people like George Jones who are out of control in this era. And, you know, it, it just Whalen hated it. He hated being in the, the center of attention. He hated being famous. He was too burnt out on all the partying. He just did not want to keep doing what he was doing. He had, you know, spent now five years riding off into that that great unknown following his muse and being exactly as bad as he wanted to be and he was he was ready to quit and so i've always been crazy the peak of this record is don't you think this outlaw bits done got out of hand which talks about the specifics of his drug bust and it's a it's a really important moment. You know, it's a guy saying I was going too hard and the law was coming for me. And, you know, he, he says, like, I said I was an outlaw, but all I was really doing was was doing drugs and making music. Am I really like somebody who's worth chasing from the DEA? And so this song, you know, it's this incredible artifact. It's like a guy singing about an active, you know, an active drug bust. And you can hear part of it right now. On the title track, Whalen really gets to the feelings that he's having, too, is, you know, he says, I've been busted for things that I did and I didn't do. I can't say I'm proud of all the things I've done, but I can say I've never intentionally hurt anyone. And, you know, it's interesting to see somebody grappling in real time with their persona and acknowledging that, like, they maybe took it too far. And... I don't think that that ever happened in country music until this moment. Like usually the personas were not self-aware in that era. I mean, except for maybe Dolly Parton, nobody was, was that self-aware about their situation, their lot in, in country music. And was that upfront about it? So it's like really a remarkable thing to hear this guy singing about his life, you know, and then it comes to as the Billy world turns, which is, you know, a, a sort of a oblique telling of how 
Tomple Glazer ended up suing Whalen. Whalen sued him back and they don't talk anymore. And that Willie Nelson at this point, you know, had become a star thanks to Stardust and had decided to sell out. Like he actually went to places in suits and like basically was willing to be the company man in a way that Whalen was not. And so Whalen really sings about it on a long time ago too. Uh, he sings me and old Willie Lordy. We've been sold and bought, you know, he he's acknowledging that this thing that they invented has now been commodified and he's grappling with it in real time on this record which makes it to me one of the most interesting country records ever because part of country music is keeping kayfabe, right? Like you don't go to the guys in Florida, Georgia line and expect them to acknowledge that they don't like drinking and swimming pools all day. You know, like you don't, you don't expect you want them to keep playing the character. And Whalen is at the peak of his career, like he is the most famous country singer on earth. And he is like, my persona sucks and I hate this and I don't want to do this anymore. Like I'm ready to do something else. Please just let me be me and, and let me, let me go and do my thing. And so this record stands as like Whalen's last go round with Outlaw Country, which makes it the perfect record to be the second to last in this box. It's so good. Can't wait for you guys to get to it as you listen to it. Here's some of a long time ago for you to hear now. I don't look the way the average cowboy singer looks. I'll admit I've taken things I never should have took You can read a different story in a lot of different books But even then you won't really know How it was a long time ago When we got down to it, it felt like there was no other place for us to end this box than with Leather and Lace the joint album that Whalen made with his wife, Jesse Coulter, in 1981. You know, as we said about the last album in the box, Whalen was sick of everything and started to, you know, calm down. And it would take a few years before he eventually completely calmed down. But that was largely thanks to Jesse Coulter and her patience with him, as we heard Shooter Jennings say on episode one. You know, she she's hung in there with Whalen during all of his crazy years. And it feels like them doing this record now when he's pulling into port and he's not going hard into that unknown just feels like so beautiful, like that it's coming at this point of their relationship where it's almost like Whalen is appreciative of her still being there. You know, you can just hear the two of them and how much they love each other on this record. It's it's in every song. It's in the fact that they cover each other. And this record is just so beautiful. I think it's really, really underrated in both of their catalogs. I don't know what else to say. You heard Shooter Jennings and I talk about it in the last episode. This is one of my favorites in the box. And I'm so honored that we got to do the, the audio file reissue that this deserves. You can hear What's Happened to Blue Eyes, which is Waylon covering one of Jesse Coulter's songs solo. This is such a beautiful song. Here that is. What's happened to Blue Eyes? Has anybody seen her? Don't anybody tell? 
That's it, right? That's the eight albums that are in your box. I'm glad to give you sort of behind the scenes what was happening with Whalen, sort of like a director's commentary here. But, you know, before I go on this episode, I wanted to sort of share where you can maybe go next in your Whalen studies. Uh, If you're looking for albums after this box, uh, I definitely recommend Black on Black. That's a a great record. And any of the records that Whalen made with the Highwaymen is really great. The super group that he had. Basically, all of his 80s records are, you know, good to great. Get you at least black on black. You know, that one is, is a special one. I think if you've been in record stores, you've seen that one. Um, it's only rock and roll is a really fun record too, where it's a bunch of, uh, sort of rock covers. He does a medley of some things. Like it's just a really fun record, you know? And then he also did a couple of duet albums with Willie after this WW2 and, uh, take it to the limit. But if you're, if you're looking for more of the like early Whalen, um, a record that, you know, maybe we'll get to eventually is uh, Ladies Love Outlaws is one that I really, really enjoy. And, you know, another good one to, to seek out is Waylon Sings Ole Harlan, uh, which is him covering only Harlan Howard songs. It's a really great record to revisit when Willie this year uh, finally did a full Harlan Howard album. You know, it took him how many years into his career 60 years before he got to harlan howard who was like one of the early great country songwriters like that's a that's a stone cold classic whalen record another record for you to check out is singer of sad songs it's this pretty weird record that uh whalen went and made in la with lee hazelwood and you know lee was ultimately like famous for making like sort of you know, duets records with Nancy Sinatra, but he made this Whalen Jennings record and it, uh, you know, it has some of the wall of sound kind of stuff. It's pretty out there for a Whalen Jennings record, but uh, if you can find a copy, it's a really, really good one. And then my final record that I want to recommend to you is Clean Shirt. It was the last Whalen and Willie duets album. It came out in the early 90s. I'm working on trying to get it on vinyl. It's just this record made by two guys who were having a blast. And it's one of my most favorite records from both of them because it's just like a fun record. You can hear them laughing pretty much the whole time. So that's your your assignments for continuing studies of Waylon Jennings. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh You know, and I hope that this added to your experience. You get a little bit more than what I gave you in the liner notes. And I hope you're enjoying this box. I hope that you are getting as much out of this as we have gotten out of making it. So with that, take it to the credits. This season of the VMP Anthology podcast is executive produced, written, and hosted by Andrew Winnestorfer. It is produced by Jim Hankey of the Vinyl Emergency Podcast. And before we go, remember, listen to more Shooter Jennings and Hierophant.